Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. The whole experience made us a lot stronger in the other markets that we're in. Um, I think one thing it's taught us about diversification. Um, it's taught us about the importance of really paying attention to what's going on from a policy perspective and the energy market dynamics and being prepared for the unexpected and for the black swan events that you don't think is going to happen. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and action shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Hey, welcome, 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 welcome back to Suncast. I'm your host, Nico Johnson, as you just heard. Today, we're going to be spending time with my dear friend, Sarah Chapman of Faro Energy. And I am stoked to have Sarah on the show. Now, I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet. Sarah and I go way back. If you've looked at my LinkedIn lately, you know I've got a connection with Faro. But I've got a connection first and foremost with Sarah. We were friends long before I had Faro as a client and an employer. And I'm really stoked that she's our second female guest on the show. I hope to get more females on the show. Hey, if you're out there and you're leading companies in the renewable industry, you know who you are. Get in touch. We want more females on Suncast. You know, I'm so grateful for you guys. Thank you again for showing up and encouraging me to do Suncast. Your voice is present in all of these episodes, and I need your feedback. I love hearing from you. So just go on over to mysuncast.com and leave me a voicemail. It's just a little nugget in the week that makes me smile. Uh, Thank you, Jarrett Lineweaver, for taking me up on that. This dude, I love him. He's down in Mazatlan, crushing it in the solar industry in Mexico. And if you're looking for someone to develop projects with in Mexico, reach out to Jared. If you don't know him, I'll happily connect you. Uh, Just one example of someone who has sent me a voicemail and who is helping direct the relationships and the direction of Suncast through his intentionality right from his smartphone. You can also email me, nico at mysuncast.com. And if you haven't heard by now, I love LinkedIn. It's the best way to find me. Hey, stick around if you want to hear more about financing distributed generation in Latin America, about one of the companies that I think is on the rise in doing just that, putting portfolios together, financing distributed generation, rooftop solar in Brazil, Colombia, Central America, and the Caribbean. Sarah has a really amazing background. She is a rising star, and she has done great work from her time in Asia to now leading one of the of the what I think is preeminent uh, boutique shops that's doing development in Latin America and financing and owning their own projects. Sarah has quite the story. Stick around. I think you'll appreciate where she uh, sits in terms of the capital markets, what's hot and not, and how to differentiate yourself in the distributed generation space. So I hope you like it, and I hope that you will join Sarah and me at the Unlocking Solar Capital LATAM event coming up in Miami. Three weeks away, guys. Very close. This is the 15th and 16th. I think the dates don't quote me on that, but go to mysuncast.com forward slash plaza, P-L-A-Z-A, or you'll see all the details about 
the upcoming event. This conference focuses on addressing the key issues in financing solar energy in Latin America and brings together financiers, project developers, EPZs, and leaders like Sarah Chapman from Faro Energy from all over the region. Head over to the website for more details. And don't forget, just use the code SUNCAST when you begin registration for a smoking 10% discount to the cost of the conference. Do that now. Go to mysuncast.com forward slash plaza. Well, without further ado, thanks again for taking the time to be here. Enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with Sarah Chapman of Faro Energy. Well, I am proud to finally welcome another woman CEO to Suncast. Today on Suncast, you'll meet my good friend Sarah Chapman, CEO and co-founder of Faro Energy, a solar finance company focused on commercial and industrial solar in Latin America. Sarah has spent the majority of her career working in energy and climate, starting at McKinsey & Company, where she specialized in climate finance and clean technology. She was also a key team member at ClimateBridge, which developed and financed more than three gigawatts of renewable energy projects in Asia. As a side note, Sarah also spent the year prior to founding Faro working in global climate policy, launching the Global Cli Commission on the Economy and Climate, a coalition of former heads of state, heads of UN agencies, multinational companies, and research institutions. The main finding of the commission was that it is possible to have lasting economic growth while taking action on climate change. Sarah, you're quite the champion of taking action on climate change, and we are honored to have you on at long last on Suncast. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nico. It's great to be here. Yeah. Well, for those who know my backstory, obviously they'll recognize the fact that you and I have lots of interactions. If you looked at my LinkedIn page, it says, uh, it says Faro Energy in my history. Um, proud to have worked with and served your company uh, for the better part of two years, and uh, really excited. I mean, this is this is like another conversation for us, but it uh, it also gives me a chance to ask you some questions in a different light, I suppose. Great, we're really excited to be here. Bring it on. Good. Well, let's begin with a bit of your backstory. You know, you've been in climate change for a while, but mostly focused on Asia, Australia, and uh, I'm curious. Why start a solar company, of all things, and then why Latin America? So I spent a number of years working, developing renewable energy projects uh, and financing them in uh, in China and in, in Asia. And uh, as you as you know from my bio and um, we so my, my whole kind of most of my background is in sort of emerging market uh, renewable energy finance, not just solar, but also kind of wind, methane, uh, uh, hydro uh, projects over there, um, and so when we were looking to looking at kind of starting a business and researching kind of business ideas, sort of back kind of several years before we actually founded Faro, um, we were looking at sort of which areas, um, uh, which markets we thought were the most exciting um, and had the most growth potential, uh, and where do we feel that kind of our skills and our networks um, could really make a difference. Um, and that sort of that process sort of led us to uh, led us to Latin America. It's a region uh, which is um, has a lot of sun, a lot a lot of solar resource. We could see the cost of solar was coming down rapidly. Um, it's uh, it had at the time had pretty high energy energy prices in a lot of places, uh, and so we could see it was a place where um, 
soda was going to reach grid parity um, faster than almost anywhere else in the world. Um, and that was super exciting. Um, and we back when we started the business, we actually started the business in Guatemala um, and, and started working there with a kind of really brilliant uh, and wonderful kind of local uh, uh, local partners who um, really kind of helped us sort of learn about the business. And we kind of really tested the waters in that country uh, before kind of moving out from there um, a, a, kind of a year or two ago. Um, so um, I guess high level, that's why that that's why we're there. And that's why we started this business. Um, and if I think about sort of, you know, why we're in this industry kind of in general. Um, so I've, as you know, I've spent my whole career working in climate and energy and I've been thinking a lot about how um, about the problem of climate change. How do we solve it? Um, what are the big levers that need to get pulled in order to to try and combat that problem, combat the challenge? And um, at the same time, I kind of developed a pretty strong belief that like, business business has to be leading the way in, in terms of solving the problem and that there are really increasingly um, exciting business opportunities to be doing both tackling climate change and uh, making a profit uh, at the same time. Um, and so as so we're thinking about starting a business, I was thinking about both those two, two dimensions. So first of all, um, where can we have a really big impact? Uh, where can we really move the needle on climate? Uh, and second of all, um, uh, where where are there profitable business opportunities where we can build a sustainable business um, and really start start to bring mainstream capital uh, from uh, from really conventional investors who who don't really care about climate they just want to make money into the space because that's when this that's when the the response really starts to scale um, and so as we looked at kind of business opportunities that kind of fitted those criteria and compared that with our experience in emerging market renewables, um, solar in Latin America seemed to really um, stand out for us as a great uh, as a great place to start looking. And the more we sort of started looking and started talking to people and having conversations and building partnerships and networks in the region, the more that that cemented our kind of conviction that this is the right place to be. Um, if you think about the problem, um, uh, the decarbonizing the energy sector is one of the single biggest levers that that we need to to fight climate change and uh that that needs to happen faster and on a bigger scale in emerging markets than it does in developed markets yeah i get it sarah you guys are really focused on decarbonization of energy you're really focused on the largest levers for taking action against climate change of which obviously solar makes a lot of sense i'm particularly interested in hearing your thoughts on commercial industrial as a sector versus uh, utility. And obviously in Latin America, where you've chosen to focus, there is uh, an off-grid segment as well. Uh, how do you guys think about the segmentation of the markets? Surely you've chosen, clearly you've chosen to focus on uh, the CNI market. I'd love to understand why, what you feel is the uh, is the market size for CNI and and kind of how you characterize that market moving forward? Great question. Um, so I guess the first question is sort of is why CNI rather than utility? Uh, mm -hmm. Then I'll come on to kind of CNI versus Resi and CNI versus off grid in a minute. Um, uh, our view is that the utility sector is relatively is relatively mature uh, and the projects are so big that. Um, large international companies are able to bid on uh, 
to, to bid on utility projects in Latin America without too much of a local network or a local team. And really the way to win that game is to have a very big balance sheet um, and uh, to be able to, to be willing and able to kind of put in a huge amount of development capital before you find out find out whether you've win, won a bid and then have a very low cost of capital to be able to uh, get your price down really low. And that suits um, big multinational energy companies with big balance sheets and low cost of capital. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, and it's, it's that market has been well served by those kind of players. It's also got a lot of uh, finance available to it from uh, development banks and kind of very conventional sources of capital. So I don't also, also don't think that that, that part of the market has a particularly interesting finance problem to solve. I think that mm-hmm. market is well served um, and is competitive. Um, and frankly, I also don't think the margins are that big anymore because it's so competitive. Um, I think the CNI sector is much more interesting um, because um, there is um, it's, it's, a, it's a more interesting challenge. There's more need for finance for finance products there because they're really just aren't that many financing solutions available for CNI right now in our markets. Um, so we're solving a problem that's that's really needed um, and that exists. Um, and I think it's also um, distributed solar in general and CNI in particular. I think is a, is uh, is a more innovative, more kind of radical, more modern, more modern kind of energy solution than mm-hmm. just doing large utility projects which are basically the same as large coal coal power plants except they happen to be solar it's a different way of thinking about energy usage it's a different way of thinking about the grid but i think it's ultimately more exciting and i think it's where the future lies so the cni market right now in in our region is very nascent it's really in its early days there are some countries which are further ahead than others but but even if you kind of add it all together it's still um, you know, a tiny fraction of the size of the market in, say, in, for example, the US or in Europe. And um, it, so the potential for this market to grow is absolutely enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think right now it's being, uh, if I think about why it's not growing faster or why, why it hasn't happened sooner, um, it's really only been in the last year or two that the costs have cost of solar has come down to the point where we can offer a offer compelling enough uh, pricing to to end customers to make it worth their while in most cases it has worked a little bit earlier in some places but widespreads um widespread application of this is, is only just becoming economically viable so we're really just you know in the first year or two of this market happening if we look at brazil and, and colombia both of those two countries have um introduced new regulations uh, around a year ago um, that made this possible and this the cni market was b- barely possible um at all before that and if you look at both countries there was there were hardly any projects built um before those new regulations came in so I think we're right at the very beginning and it's really exciting and it's it's fun to be a part of seeing how this market is evolving and shaping how it's, it's shaping how things are developing, you know, doing, you know, the first of PPAs in particular countries and working out how we kind of work with the new work with, with legislation, new and old, and how we mm-hmm. adapt things to, to, to local conditions. I appreciate that color. And of course, you touched on the reason that you're not a utility and it being a more uh, formal market where obviously uh, capital uh, is uh, readily structured and, and there's a known format. Um, where do you see investors getting interested in particular in CNI for Latin America? 
what you know what types of investors are interested in this segment, and um, you know why are they why would they be interested in CNI given the incentive driven markets like the U.S. and Asia that are crushing it with large scale projects giving dependable returns? I think this is a this is sort of outli- outstanding question. Um, presently for for folks in the CNI space trying to raise capital. And I'd love your thoughts on that. Sure. So I think the first thing is that you know, the returns that we see in this market right now in Latin America are higher significantly than the returns that we have that you see in in Europe and the US. And part of that is to do with you know, just the general difference between the cost and ca- cost of capital between those two regions. Um, but it, the returns, I think, now are... Um, compelling for investors who uh, who are just looking for an appropriate risk rewards balance rather than those that uh, particularly care about climate or anything like that um, and that, and that sort of I think causing one really interesting trend which which we're seeing is in all of our kind of capital conversations is of a trend um, away from uh, impact investment and climate focused investors to mm-hmm more mainstream capital sources um, so uh, we, we we're raising money now from investors who are purely commercial who really <laughs> like the climate story but certainly don't take kind of impact or emissions reductions or uh, any, any of that into into account when they're working out their kind of the risk reward and whether they want to invest um, and I think that we'll see that trend um, continue over the next few years and frankly that's my goal i mean i would love to be getting uh, very conventional investors into this space uh, because that's how we really get to scale if we're deploying very large amounts of capital of very conventional capital in this market very interesting you know a question that i know you get asked a lot so let's just go ahead and i guess get it out there and clear it up is uh whether faro is a developer or a financier how do you position yourself in the market Sure. So we're primarily a finance company. We're primarily a, an investor in projects. And our preferred model of working is to partner with local developers. Um, that's not always possible. Um, so sometimes we end up doing the development work ourselves. So we can do development in-house, but we'd rather not. Um, and we we actively want to partner with local developers. I see. And so therefore you are positioning as a fund that can help local developers or or it, it basically developers from anywhere but focused on the local markets in latin america scale their business through partnership with faro exactly yeah that's okay right. fair enough so my guess and obviously i have some backstory on faro but my guess is that you guys are drilling down to very specific markets uh i'm gonna play a game that we play here on suncast called hot or not and uh, get your insights on some of these markets as we drill down a little deeper. Feel free to elaborate if you will, but in general, uh, the game is roughly 30 to 60 seconds explanation on whether or not you think the market is hot or not, perhaps why. Uh, and it's totally okay to say pass. We'll, uh, I'll leave that to you. So we'll start hot or not in Mexico. Uh, Mexico, until recently, I don't think it's been that hot with the CNI market. I think prices have been really low. Uh, we've been watching it pretty closely after the, over the last couple of years, and I think that it may be starting to warm up. Uh, but uh, so right now, uh, warming up, I'd say. Very good, Mexico warming up, and and Faro doesn't have a presence in Mexico, we so don't, we'll, no. yeah. Um, and I I imagine like you, like many others, 
uh, sort of bundle the next two uh, regions together, but I'll, I'll separate them for the purpose of the game. Let's go with the Caribbean, hot or not, and feel free to highlight any specific islands that are worth the time or effort. So right now we're particularly interested in the, in the DR. Um, mm -hmm. We see a lot of opportunity there. Um, we think there are a lot of other interesting markets, but the islands are pretty small. So I'd say hot overall. Mm-hmm, hot and mostly focused on the DR. Very good. Yeah. What about Central America, your, your, your birthplace for Faro? Yeah. Um, again, I think the answer is very different depending on which country you're in. Um, mm -hmm. Guatemala, where we started, I'd say is not right now. Mm -hmm. um, the Honduras um, is pretty hot at the moment. Uh, we're starting to see some interesting projects in Panama. Um, so I think Panama is hotter for us than it has been for a while. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And um, yeah, uh, missing in the evaluation uh, is uh, El Salvador, where uh, there was a CNI market for a while. I'm curious to, if you guys have, have any focus on El Salvador. Uh, we're not focused not focused there at the moment. We have I haven't seen much come through from there recently. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I know the next one is near and dear to your heart. How about Brazil? Hot or not? Very hot right now. We're very excited <laughs> about Brazil. Yeah, can you can you tell me a little more? What 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 excites you about Brazil? I mean, Brazil's a perennially difficult market to operate in. Why why is Brazil hot? Uh, Brazil is a massive country, a massive market. It's got new DG regulations um, that came out last year. It's got um, virtual virtual net metering uh, is now in force and it's now happening. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of market buzz. There's a lot of excitement. There are a lot of tenders coming out in this space, in the virtual net metering space at the moment. There are lots of new companies coming into the Brazilian market. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot happening. If I think about, and if I look at you know, the pipeline that our team is, is seeing in Brazil and compare it to this time last year, it's the growth in the number of inbound inquiries we're getting is pretty extraordinary. Um, so I really, I think that the Brazil is, yeah, we're super excited about Brazil right now. Got it, got it. Well, what about, let's go sort of around the horn in South America uh, clockwise. Let's jump to Argentina, hot or not? I think Argentina is becoming increasingly hot. We're not there yet, but I have had people ask me, ask me questions about Argentina maybe once, every, every, once a fortnight for about the last six months. Um, mm -hmm. it's, so I think Argentina is um, uh, probably hot. Mm -hmm. Chile? We're not doing much there right now. Um, and actually, I don't know much about that market. Last time we looked mm -hmm. at it, it looked um, pretty competitive. Um, uh, lots of people chasing and not very many projects. Fair enough, fair enough. So we'll finish with, uh, with Colombia, which I also know is near and dear to your heart. Obviously, you've got a team there. What do you think about Colombia and perhaps the broader Ran Andes region, hot or not? Uh, Colombia, uh, definitely hot. We're very excited about what's going on in Colombia. Colombia is earlier stage than many of the other markets that have had CNI. So there's very little that's been built so far, but um, uh, partly because the regulations have only just come in, there's still some pieces of regulation that we're waiting for, but it is starting to happen. Uh, we're currently uh, constructing kind of one of the first private um, solar PPAs in Colombia, which we're pretty excited about. Um, and uh, yeah, we think Colombia is pretty hot. Very uh, good. Broader region, um, uh, Peru, uh, we're we're finding a few opportunities there, a few niche opportunities. Um, I still think energy prices there are pretty low. Um, I'm not sure how quickly that market is going to grow uh, unless something changes there. Got it. Um, and Ecuador just isn't very sunny. 
<laughs> I'm aware that you have a team in Brazil, team in Colombia, team in uh, Central America, mainly focused on <clears throat> the markets that you identified. And you want a position primarily as a facilitator in the marketplace. Can you tell me how Faro differentiates itself in predominantly the DG solar space in Latin America beyond just being a funding vehicle? Sure. Um, give me one second just to think about that one. And then I'll uh -huh. <laughs> Yeah, so so we so in this market, so we're we're obviously primarily an investor, um, and uh, and as a finance company, and one of the things that makes us a, we, we believe makes us a great sort of investment partner for local developers and EPCs is that um, we understand the local markets. Um, our teams on the ground um, in the different countries, you know, are, like, get the get the local markets. They know what's going on. They can work um, and. They're good partners who understand the challenges that uh, that local developers are facing um, and can work kind of problem solve with with local teams on how to get things done. So we understand what it's like on the ground. Um, at the same time, we're um, you know with our investor hats on. Uh, we're I think one of the things our team is really good at is risk risk management. Um, we're pretty good at. Um, evaluating project opportunities, identifying risks, trying to mitigate them, working with our partners to try and do that. Uh, and that's one thing that we really pride ourselves on. I think that um, for this market to grow, uh, we need investors to come in, uh, more more capital to come into this market, who, uh, seeing it as a low risk market that will bring down the cost of capital for the whole market and increase availability. And to do that, we have to be absolutely obsessive about managing risk uh, and making sure that, that there's that our investors money is as well protected as possible i i get it and you've got the expertise at a local level could you uh could you unpack a little for me how your local teams think about developing partnerships both at a uh perhaps at a finance delivery level, but also how your local teams think about developing partnerships, not only at a finance delivery or financial product delivery level, but also at an enablement level with, uh, with regard to your own sort of sourcing of deals in the marketplace. Sure. So we, there's something we think about a lot. Um, I think our general philosophy is that this market is growing so quickly and has so much potential that um, we... We will grow much faster if we're collaborating and partnering with a really wide number of companies, mm -hmm. um, and so our general default is to try, is to partner with is is to build very strong partnerships, mm -hmm. um, and we partner with companies that are very experienced and have done, have, have built a ton of solar projects before, and also with companies that are getting into this space from somewhere else, so f who maybe were um, an EPC in like a related energy space but haven't done that much solar before. Um, and our role is not just to provide capital, but to help sort of fill in the gaps for for our for our local developer partners. So if they need, if we think that they need um, uh, more kind of technical support or procurement or solar expertise, we can we can really help with that. But we also recognise that some of our some of our partners are brilliant at all that stuff already, and they don't need mm -hmm. it. So trying to be as flexible as possible and fill in where we need to fill in, but also stepping back, letting our partners. Um, lead where that where they're comfortable doing so is um is i think how we try to position it very good do you find that the 
that your approach to the market offers the the type of competitive capital that these partners require and and, and it allows them to not have to go sort of source their own uh, their own equity or their own funding uh, I'm wondering how it, it helps them accelerate the model of business for them and if, if I don't know if you have a thought on that yeah that's right I mean I think if you think about kind of this market as a kind of a big picture um, mm-hmm. in order to if, if, if any one sort of single developer is going off trying to f- trying to pitch its projects on its own um, it's going to be subscale and going to find it really difficult the right. way in which this market grows is by um, aggregating projects sort of across the region um, into into bigger bundles that can be financed together because that's where we get the cost of capital down that's where we get the transaction cost down that's where we get a slick system in place um, and that's really what we set out to do um, is to be um, working with a whole number of different developers uh, bringing together a bit of big portfolio projects so we can drive down the tra- drive down the cost of capital um, and I do think the moment that the cost of capital that we're bringing to the market is pretty competitive um, we're obviously you know as I talked earlier about risk management and we do you know, that is something that's you know, is really important to us and we will um, you know we'll be evaluating every project that comes to us pretty rigorously to make sure that it meets our standards but if it does then um, I think we're pretty competitive are you innovating in any way around that topic of credit underwriting which is a perennial issue for uh, for anyone trying to finance projects how do you address the notion of the credit risk under uh, underwriting these uh, commercial folks not just in one country but across a multitude of countries in your portfolio yeah, so it's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. How do we um, how do we assess the credit of our counterparties? How do we compare apples with apples when we're looking at different countries uh, and different types of customers? Uh, we've developed sort of an internal kind of credit assessment score, uh, so mm-hmm. a scorecard where we're kind of looking at all the usual things that you'd expect, like you know balance sheet revenues. Um, uh, all kind of ratios, um, that kind of thing. So we have the kind of the, the kind of the, the numbers that we can compare, um, but we're also looking at things like um, uh, the type of business that our customer has and kind of their the, how long t- the long termness of their view on their business, um, but not just the business, but also the site as well. So for example, we really like projects um, uh, where the site is highly specialized. So where the facility, the underlying facility is really difficult to move. Um, those projects we, we like a lot. If it's something that's very easy to move, like a big box retailer, um, where it's quite likely they'll move within a few years, then, then that's, um, you know, that's, that's slightly less good from a credit perspective. So we yeah. try and combine that kind of combination of sort of rigorous sort of numbers and also kind of a more holistic view. Um, and then also, of course, do lots of kind of local diligence, you know, talking to people in the market who know who know the companies, um, getting kind of a sense from kind of all of our, throughout our network and kind of what kind of company this is and how they're viewed. Um, and then also, you know, our we obviously protect ourselves kind of contractually as well and put a lot of thought into how our contracts are structured to make sure that we're, that we're well protected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, uh, I've asked uh, a couple of others on the show about this topic around contracting and, you know, what, what ultimately seemed to help the uh, more established European and, and Asian U.S. markets gain traction at the CNI level where, is where enough projects had been done that, uh, the project's templates, if you will, the contract templates started 
becoming public knowledge. Uh, they were, you know, begun to just get distilled down into templates. Is that something that, as a fund, uh, wanting to attract more and more projects and developers who understand how you think about projects, you've considered uh, templatizing and, and sort of publishing your contract documents? Yeah, we have. Um, we've definitely thought about that. Um, I don't think we're quite ready to do it yet, um, but it's certainly an ambition of ours. Um, I think mm -hmm. we need to um, to test our to to test our current contracts a little bit further, and just to kind of mm -hmm. road test them on a few, and to get you know get get have them operating for a few years so we can see uh, so we can kind of continue to improve them. But I think once we've once they're stable and we're happy with them, I think we. We'd be very interested in the concept of, of sort of making them kind of open source and publicly available. I think there's a real value to the market of, you know, sharing that kind of information and yeah. not having people reinvent the wheel. And for us, from a financing perspective, um, uh, we, you know, we, we, we obviously share all of share our contracts with our developer partners who can uh, get, you know, who use them to get to sign their clients up. Um, and that makes a big Precisely. difference to us having the same contracts for each project. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually an, an interesting point from a strategy perspective, uh, whether to have it a closed ecosystem where, well, once someone signs up and becomes an approved vendor, so to speak, of your financing product, they get access to your templates versus just open sourcing them. Um, something to perhaps for a different, uh, a different conversation, different call. Certainly, mm. if, if, if uh, Faro gets to the point where you're willing to uh, and ready to publish your documents, uh, give me a call. We'd be happy to host them on Suncast. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'll let you know. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I know uh, that you have some pretty impactful mentors in your life. I know from our, our uh, private chats that um, you spend a lot of time gaining and gleaning insight from those who have uh, kind of gone before you or trained you in the ways of business. I'd love to know if you apply any of these key lessons or takeaways to your current business or even just to your personal life. Sure. Um so probably the two um, the two biggest kind of mentors in my life, um, uh, or, or two of the biggest mentors in my life, are the two founders of Climate Bridge, which is the company that I work for for um, uh, for kind of a number of years that we talked about earlier on the show. Um, and I spent essentially my kind of the work I did with them I was working directly for them, um, helping them kind of grow their business. I joined it when it was a startup. It was a kind of fairly sizable company by the time that I left. Um, or by the time the company was sold um, and you know one of them the CEO of that company is now on on our board um, so he kind of continues to be a mentor for me um, and an, and there are so many things that I've learned from the two of them that sort of I use on a day-to-day -day basis it's hard to kind of distill um, uh, to distill them for this call so I'm just struggling to think about which ones um, uh, I think so so think about kind of lessons like one thing is about um, that you know really kind of very climate bridge is a very values driven organization um and everybody who worked there was absolutely passionate about about the company about what we were trying to achieve and it really felt like a family uh, and that's the kind of culture um that i've been trying to replicate uh, uh, at faro uh, and i think we've done a good job of that the people that you know work for faro are all absolutely kind of wonderful individuals who really care about what we're doing and are passionate and ethical um, and that kind of real creating kind of a real values driven culture is um, not straightforward uh, and doesn't happen without thought um, 
uh, and it's something that we have to keep working on as the team grows and we have to keep reinforcing uh, and talking about and making sure that people care about but um, having been part of an organization that be that behaves like that it sort of felt natural to me to um, to try and instill that in in our in our business and I'm really glad that we have you know so we, there are a few things that we've done to you know to really kind of to cement that you know we we became a b corp last year um and we're really kind of proud proud of that and proud to kind of have a stamp that says we're a purpose-driven organization and that whole being part of that community just pushes us to to be better on all sorts of metrics not just in terms of reducing emissions but of everything about how we treat people and how we how we work and how you know uh, general ethics across the business yeah, I, you, 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 I'm glad that you touched on B Corp. I was certainly going to bring that up, and I can say certainly through through my experience with Faro uh, along the time or through the time that uh, as an organization was becoming uh, certified as a B Corp, it truly is something that requires that as a business you live the principles of a B Corp, and I can I can attest to the fact that Faro as a company uh, lives and breathes the the ethos of being a B Corp and. It's it's amazing to me for those who aren't familiar, and we don't need to dwell on this show. But for those who are unfamiliar with uh, a B corporation, it, you should go to the Sarah. Perhaps you know the website, but it's uh, is it bcorp.net, bcorp.com? Probably bcorp.com. Yeah, right I would encourage you. Yeah, I would encourage you guys to check out uh, bcorp.com. I've been amazed at the the level of not just resources that are provided within the B corp environment, but the number of inbound inquiries to Faro. Uh, that I've that I've witnessed for folks who say, "Hey, I found you on the B Corp website," or "Hey, we're a fellow B Corp and we'd like to partner with you in some way or other." H have you had any uh, notable experiences as a B Corp member that you'd like to talk about? Um, yeah, also, there are loads actually. In fact, I had a meeting just this morning with uh, a, a a London-based B Corp that I met at a B Corp event last week, which is a, a marketing agency. Um, as we think about partners that we might work with. I mean, I speak to kind of fellow B Corps all the time about all sorts of different sort of uh, supply, um, all sorts of different suppliers that we're looking for for different services. It's bcorporation.net, by the way. Ah, perfect. bcorporation.net. We mentioned that you began in Guatemala and obviously now your primary focus is not in Guatemala. Um, I know that you've dabbled with utility projects and you're not working in utility projects now. Uh, what aha moments along the way have affected any sort of fundamental shifts in scope of the business and how you approach the market? Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about the Guatemalan energy market. Um, so um, as I think, yeah, well, as you know, Nico, um, we, so we started out the business in Guatemala uh, and were built up a business there, spent a, quite a long time kind of uh, learning about the market, building up a network, building a project pipeline, getting some projects through, through, through kind of the development process. Um, and just as it was also starting to come together, the um, energy market in Guatemala collapsed. Mm -hmm. um, prices that our customers were paying fell um, by kind of 40 or 50 percent, uh, which mm -hmm. was which meant our pr the projects that we were that that we were working on went from saving our customers money to uh, costing them money and then of course there's really it's really difficult to get somebody to sign up for a, a long-term PPA at an energy price above that what they're currently paying um, so we had to make the pretty difficult decision to put that market on ice um, mm -hmm. and uh, that was it was it was tough you know because we'd spent a lot of time building up a you know, uh, learning and building and then had to kind of you know restart I think 
the, the whole experience made us a lot stronger in the other markets that we're in. Um, I think one thing it's taught us about is about diversification uh, and mm. the importance of diversification. Um, it's taught us about um, the importance of really paying attention to what's going on uh, from a policy perspective in the energy market dynamics and being prepared, being prepared being prepared for the unexpected and for the black swan events that you don't think is going to happen. Nobody thought that 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 you know that kind of combination of events that was going to cause that um, kind of the massive sharp decrease in energy prices in Guatemala was going to happen. It wasn't something that people were predicting. Um, but so kind of being aware of all the different possibilities that might happen and make sure making sure that you future proof your business and your investments against that, not just assuming, for example, that energy prices will keep rising or inflation will stay low or a country will stay stable or any of those things like being uh, making sure that, you know, we're building our business for kind of the good times, but that also if things go badly that we can we can survive, I think, is, um, you know, we learned that lesson early on and we survived um, and uh, we no doubt there will be tough times again in the future for all sorts of different reasons uh, in this industry and making sure that we can get through those times is important. Absolutely. And you've built a great team to help weather any other sort of market uh, surprises. And I'd love to know, uh, looking out across what you guys are working on right now, what has you most excited right now for Faro's growth? What's next for you? Um, so I am... Um, Right now, really excited about so specific opportunities. I'm really excited about the way that the virtual net metering market is shaping up in Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of um, uh, uh, just a lot of volume coming through in that market. And I think it's really going to start kind of getting getting that market to the scale um, that it needs uh, mm -hmm. in order to start becoming a bit more mainstream. Um, I think that will unlock some really interesting financing solutions in Brazil that like are not currently available to the market. Uh, we're, we're doing quite a lot of work on on that, which we're super excited about uh, and happy to talk to anyone about that who's interested. So please do get in touch. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's in the in the short term. I think that is the thing that is changing very quickly that I'm really that I'm most excited about right now. And there are other things in some of the other markets as well that I could talk about, but I could keep talking about this for, <laughs> for hours. Yeah, and I encourage, uh, you know, it's, uh, the uh, as mentioned in the lead up to the episode today, uh, we'll all be present at the Unlocking Solar Capital uh, LATAM event for Solar Plaza in June. So I'd encourage certainly anyone who's interested in the story of what Faro uh, is doing and can do in the marketplace to reach out to Sarah. And towards the end of the episode, of course, we'll have ways for you to do that. Uh, you know, Sarah, on that note, I'd love to know, what do you need help with in the near term? What are you guys looking for? Any specific asks of the audience that might be coming to the event or just our, our uh, Suncast listeners? Sure. So we are always looking for new partners in the region. Um, we are interested in partnering with developers, with EPCs, particularly if you're working on developing developing projects that you think might need might need a financing solution we'd love to talk to you um, we're and even if we can't do anything together now we could do something together in the future so we're always keen to meet more people um, I'd love to meet people at the Soda Plaza event um, uh, so yeah drop me a line or come and meet me at the event brilliant brilliant and at the end I want to uh, we'll mention one of the uh one of the upcoming success stories that you have, and we'll make sure we get that in but right before we close out. But for now, I want to move to a segment on learning, leadership, and legacy. 
I'd love to know, I know that you're a reader, what's the book that you've given away the most and why? That's a big question. I read a lot. So recently in the last probably two or three years, particularly in the last year, I've been reading a lot of um, uh, novels set in the future hmm. um, and sort of visions of kind of what the future, the future kind of world might look like. Um, and part of it is just kind of a general response to kind of what's going on with global politics right now and things starting to get a little bit scary um, and just thinking about kind of how things could all play out. But they also kind of remind, a lot of them have kind of quite strong climate change themes and remind me kind of why we do what we do and what the world looks like if we don't get this right. Hmm. Um, so one uh, series that I've just finished reading that I would really recommend uh, is Margaret Atwood's um, Orcs and Crake. Uh, well, Orcs and Crake is the first book. The series is called Mad Adam. Um, that's a, a really interesting vision for kind, of, for, for kind of where the world could go if like the decisions and the we make if we don't make the right decisions over the next sort of couple of decades it's kind of scary but it's really interesting um a similar on a similar vein um i've read a couple of really interesting books by david mitchell recently mm -hmm. um so, uh, cloud atlas and the bone clocks um which kind of both have like similar themes running through them um now those obviously aren't seller specific at all they're not business books they're not leadership books no of um, course and they don't need to be but i um uh yeah, I find sort of reading novels and reading kind of the way that kind of people have really creatively thought about kind of what might happen to the world are really kind of inspiring and sort of uh, kind of grounding, I think. I appreciate that. Trust me, the uh, book recommendations here are very seldom uh, book, uh, uh, excuse me, business specific or, or nonfiction specific for that matter. Uh, I got, if you're interested in, I'll, I'll certainly give you a couple of recommendations from recent guests and from myself. The one that is probably the largest tome i've got it in my hands right here uh, i brought it back from my meeting with alejo it's seven almost 640 pages long but it's a fabulous read it's called the amazing adventures of cavalier and clay a novel okay. by an, an author named michael chabon c-h-a-b-o-n and uh i've linked to it on the on alejo's episode in fact uh if you want to check it out there but i also often recommend a book that i think you'd be fascinated by and maybe i've mentioned it to you before in passing called ready player one by ernest klein and it's one of those books that just challenges you to think about what does virtual reality do to uh our present reality uh mm. how does it change the way that we interact with technology how does it change the way that we interact with each other and uh it it was one of those books that I read in the last year that just uh, was gripping for one, but also it just, I couldn't put it down um, because my brain was racing. Uh, this new world, literally new world that uh, that uh, virtual reality opens up for us. Mm, that sounds great. I have to add it to my list. Yeah, for sure. Last in this segment is what one thing. So what one thing do you consistently do that yields the greatest impact or results in your life? I think one thing that I try to do, and whether or not I succeed in this, I'm, you can probably tell me, um, is really try and always treat people with respect and treat people well and treat people the way that you'd like to be treated. Um, and it sounds like a small thing and an obvious thing, but a lot of people don't do it. Um, and so that means things like kind of replying, like, Replying to emails, following up with people, saying that where someone's done you a favor, saying thank you. You reply um, to emails? Come on. <laughs> and just 
being you know going out of your way to kind of be polite and which is if you, if you think of connecting people if you see kind of an op- see some reason why they should be why they find each other useful mm-hmm. i think is is really important because people come back into your life um and you know at kind of the most unexpected times and moments and it's uh you know sending out goodwill and good and kind of into into kind of the industry and the world is sort of will always sort of come back in a positive way that's right way. and i can comment on uh, a way that that impacted my life uh pre and during and post faro uh, as a as an employer as a contractor um yeah i just recall getting a handwritten thank you note from you i also recall getting a handwritten christmas letter from you and these are things that uh you know, you, you could chalk it up to being courteous and typical British uh, fashion. But frankly, I think it's above and beyond. I think that you have a level of personal touch and consider, consideration for people's uh, time and feeling uh, that is uh, that it's particularly thoughtful. And I appreciate it. I know that uh, those who interact with you in the field also appreciate it. Well, Sarah, where can people find you? Are you active on Twitter? Uh, is it best through LinkedIn, email? How can how can folks get in touch with you? Sure, um, I'm active on Twitter. I'm at Sarah K Chapman. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. If you search for Sarah Chapman Faro Energy, you'll find me. Uh, you can email me at sarah.chapman at faroenergy.com. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can come and visit us in London or meet me at the Solar Plaza Conference in Miami in June. All great ways to meet with you and... Uh, and who wouldn't want a trip to London, especially now? It's the, it's the perfect time of year. You say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's end. Uh, well, before we jump into the, the final, uh, I, I did want to give you a chance. As I understand, you guys have uh, your first sort of cornerstone or signature project about to break ground or about to have inaugural. Is that right? That's right. We're actually reaching COD today. So I'm waiting for um, waiting to hear that that's happened. Um, uh, Congratulations. I, Thank you. It's very exciting. It's a very beautiful project. Um, it's uh, I'm now that's a field trip everyone should make. Actually, extremely biased, but it is an ex- it's in a very beautiful location in Rio. Um, if anyone would like to come and visit it, uh, please let us know. Um, uh, and uh, we will be uh, announcing that project and doing some uh, making a big announcement about it uh, in uh, a few weeks' time. Uh, I think probably just after this podcast will go out. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, by the time you listen to this, uh, we may have already announced it. That's um, right. So, so if you're if you're listening, subscribe to or follow Sarah on Twitter. Subscribe to the LinkedIn page. Pretty soon, there's going to be an announcement about a uh, a brand new solar facility in Latin America that you'll want to know about. And it's uh and it's the the first uh, project in. Uh, have we mentioned the country? Can we mention the country? Yeah, I said it's in, it's in Rio. Okay, it's in Rio, right, right. So it's, it's the first project for Faro in Rio. And I know as a team, as a company, as investors, uh, Faro's really excited about this project. So congratulations again on that. It's a wonderful example of how Faro partners with local teams and gets a project uh, to fruition. Well, let's end today, Sarah, on a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? Okay, so my bold prediction is that we are going to see investors and companies coming into this sector who don't care about the climate impact, don't care about the ethics of solar and they're coming in because they're going to make money and that's the only reason and they see this as a big uh, and that's why they're coming in and I think that's something we should celebrate. Um, It's going to change 
the face of this of the industry is going to feel a bit different um but i think we'll increasingly start to see that and that's and those people coming into the market is how we get to scale yeah here here and uh yeah so the solar industry in latin america and other emerging markets is going to transition away from primarily social impact and put and uh, posted up by DFIs and other multilateral investing and move towards more mainstream investing. And if, if that in fact happens and when it does, we'll discuss it here on Suncast. Don't forget, check out Sarah K. Chapman on Twitter. Check out Faro Energy on LinkedIn and faroenergy.com. And importantly, come meet with us at Unlocking Solar Capital in Miami, the 15th and 16th of June 2017. If you missed that, don't worry. There's always other opportunities to see Sarah and to see me out in the field. Please reach out to us when you can. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on Suncast and being a presence for uh, the feminine energy that is leading this industry. Thanks, Nico. And thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you also for um, all the hard work you do putting together this podcast for the industry. It's it's, uh, really inspiring. Thank you. Wow, look at that. We're already done with another episode. Hey, I mentioned before this episode's brought to you in collaboration with Solar Plaza. Get over to www.mysuncast.com forward slash plaza for details on the Unlocking Solar Capital LATAM event in Miami coming up June 15th and 16th. Don't forget the 10% discount code. 10%! I mean, that's a meal in Miami or at least an appetizer. So go use Suncast at checkout. Grab your 10%. I'll see you in Miami. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.